Welcome to NatSec Tech, a podcast from the Special Competitive Studies Project. I'm Jean Meserve. In this episode, the first of 2024, we're going to be talking about accelerating innovation by partnering the agility and creativity of entrepreneurs with the resources and mission of government. But first, an announcement. This spring, the Special Competitive Studies Project will be hosting the very first AI Expo for National Competitiveness at the Walter E. Washington Convention Center in D.C. P.J. Makish, Special Advisor to SCSP, is here to tell us all about it. P.J., what is this event? Hi, Gene. Pleasure to speak with you. This event is a new event but it happens in a legacy of events that we've done in the past. So just to take a step back for our listeners, in the past, we've run global emerging technology summits where we've hosted people like NVIDIA CEO Jensen Wong, uh, Pat Gelsinger, the CEO of Intel, and Secretary Condoleezza Rice. We've also done another event called the Carter Exchange, and that has attracted leaders of the country like Secretary Gates, Secretary Panetta, and Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Milley, who gave a riveting speech that actually could one day be considered historical. And so with the Global Emerging Tech Summit and with the Carter Exchange, we've run these big events, but we've never also turned it into a demonstration of AI for good and AI tech power. So that is what we're calling the AI Expo for National Competitiveness. It will run on 7 to 8 May at the DC Convention Center. So if anybody's familiar with where we do the car show in DC, that's the same venue. And we are going to run it in conjunction with the Carter Exchange. So the distinguished national security crowd that normally attends the Carter Exchange will also be present for these technology demonstrations from some of our best companies in the United States and among our allies and partners. So what kind of exhibits and demonstrations are we likely to see? So right now we have a number in the pipeline, but what we're really excited to see is you can imagine seeing AI, cutting edge AI and how AI is intersecting with what we've called these battlegrounds, both advanced networks, the future of compute, the future of energy, advanced manufacturing. And it's really going to be a visual representation of how AI is accelerating these massive sectors. Because ultimately, the mission of SESP is to make sure the United States is positioned and organized to win the techno-economic competition. So we just want to bring everybody together to kind of show the cutting edge of those things. Uh, you could expect everything from robotics, AR, VR, uh, advanced compute. Uh, I, hopefully, we're trying to work out in the space even some cutting edge drone activity. So those are the, that's the spirit of the kind of demos that we're looking for. And uh, I should also mention on the side of this, if anyone's ever been to South by Southwest, we're going to have a number of side events of very distinguished events happening that we look forward to announcing as this unfolds. But those in and of themselves are things that we want to go attend because they're going to be so fascinating. So uh, some hands-on audience participation in some of those exhibits, I hope. Very much so. In fact, this is free and open to the public. And so anybody who wants to attend can go to our website, pretty simple, um, SCSP, Special Competitive Studies Project, acronym SCSP.ai, and you can see all the information you need there to sign up if you want to be a sponsor, an exhibitor, or you're just in uh, the one of our citizens who want to attend for free. Terrific. So the dates again are May 7th and 8th at the Walter E. Washington Convention Center in Washington, D.C. I hope to see a lot of you there. PJ, thanks so much for your help. Gene, thank you so much. And now, this week's conversation. 
There are a lot of big problems facing us. They are geopolitical, military, environmental, economic. The list is long. So how do we find and implement effective solutions? Our guest today has some thoughts. Joining me is Arun Gupta. Arun has been a consultant, an investor, an academician, a nonprofit leader during his distinguished career. He is currently a venture capitalist, a lecturer at Stanford University, an adjunct professor and senior advisor at Georgetown University, and CEO of Noble Reach Foundation. In these various roles, he assesses emerging technology, scales high growth companies, teaches entrepreneurs entrepreneurship, and helps coordinate national security and tech policy. All of that makes him a perfect guest for NetSec Tech. Great to have you with us. Thank you, Gene, for having me today. You've recently co-authored a book called Venture Meets Mission. What's the premise? You know, the the, the premise of Venture Meets Mission really um, resulted from a class I was teaching at, at Stanford called Valley Meets Mission. Um, there, what we were trying to do is really talk to students about uh, taking the entrepreneurial platform and their entrepreneurial spirit, um, but not 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 uh, squandering that on Candy Crush 3.0, but using that to go solve big problems, and and um, but doing that in a for-profit way, whether that be around climate or cyber, national security, healthcare, food, um, and then also uh, sensitizing them to that, you know, to solve these largest of problems, you know, will, will require some level of collaboration with government um in in how we do that and so you know Mike Morell who would come in and speak to my class said what i love about your class is you know 45% of the students don't like government and the other 45 don't like entrepreneurial capitalism and you're trying to land the plane by the end of the course that we need both to solve these big problems and that's really the premise right uh, how do we create a renewed partnership um between government and uh, and entrepreneurs to solve the big problems that we have in front of us We've been hearing about public-private partnerships, though, for for decades. How is what you're proposing different? You know, I think when we think about public-private partnerships, um, the implicit assumption there is really, you know, government with large companies. Um, And so think of your large systems integrators, your large manufacturers um, um, collaborating. Um, What we're really talking about here is a, a shift that we're seeing, which is, um, your startups and your your venture communities and your smaller companies. Um, so these are you know companies that may not be fully funded. These are companies that are building their teams real time. These are companies that are pivoting and and still developing their business model, um, but have developed um, important. Um, technology that we should be bringing in to help solve our biggest problems. And so the way we interact with those can't be the same model that we're interacting with a Fortune 500 company um, and how government opens the doors um, and creates front doors and, and, and infrastructure to connect to that innovation is very different. Um, you know, we also talk about, Gene, you know, like, uh, you know, a, a premise in the book is in great power competition where we are today. You know, two superpowers of our country have always been our ability to create talent through our higher ed system um, and our ability to innovate through our entrepreneurial ecosystem. And I think those superpowers um, are, are, are strategic differentiators for how we compete going forward. But what, what we need to What's been missing, um, or it's, it's, you know, it's, it hasn't been missing, but it's been uh, outdated a bit, is the infrastructure to connect that innovation ecosystem and that talent ecosystem into government. Where is the innovation happening? I mean, traditionally, government funded a lot of the in, in, innovation with DARPA, with NIH. Where is the innovation happening now? And is that why you think it's so important to link up government and the smaller enterprises? 
Yeah. So, you know, I think it's important to double click on, you know, when we say innovation, what are we talking about? Um, Because there's different stages of innovation. Um, There's the research and development stage of innovation, you know, which is where you're still five to 15 years away from something coming, the science piece. You know, I think a lot of that is happening um, at you know, the DARPAs, the NIHs, the academic institutions. Um, and then you've got innovation, which is the applied innovation, right? Which is taking science and trying to replicate it and, 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 and commercialize it. That's happening, I think, um, in, in, in the venture community. Um, where you're, you know, because I think the piece that people many times miss, and I think government has missed at times, is that um, innovation isn't the technology, it's really the people. Right. And it, it's about the people that you put around that tech that make make it either successful and scale or just have it um, sit on the shelf over time. Uh, and so what we're looking to, to answer your question is, is to say um, to really scale this innovation at a national level, we need to re- renew this partnership where the folks that take this to market and build businesses and build um, commercialized or applied approaches for that innovation are really sitting in the entrepreneurial ecosystem today. Would SpaceX be an example of how this should work? Yes, it is. Um, we highlight it in the book, Gene, and it, it's, it's a great example. Um, you know, I think you look at even, you know, during, um, you know, COVID and, and the vaccine development and, and the work that was done with Moderna, um, you, know, you know, the way that works is really, you know, it, it's a very outcome-based way of collaborating with the private sector of saying, hey, look, we need XYZ capability and anyone that can kind of provide us a solution that at, at a certain price point to do that, um, we can develop interim milestones, but it, it, it will we'll, we'll fund that. Um, through um, advanced purchase orders and things of that sort. Um, and, and look, I think that's the story that sometimes gets forgotten for most people is that SpaceX was funded largely by government. Um, and, you know, uh, Mariana Mazzucato, um, who writes, um, you know, has a, has a great term where she said many times government socializes risks and then we privatize reward. Um, and so, you know, we as a society focus on the privatization of the reward, but we, we forget who, who funded the additional, the, the risk capital to, to kind of make that happen. Going back to SpaceX for just a moment, there's now some discomfort in the fact that so much uh, is dependent on that one company, whether we're talking about satellites or we're talking about space launches. Um, is that a hazard of the kind of collaboration you're talking about? No, I, I, I look, I think um, I, more than a hazard, I think there's lessons learned in that, right? And I think the lessons learned in that is that you need to have multiple players out there um, that, that, that are able to scale. Um, and then to to maintain that balance, um, you should never be dependent on one individual or one uh, one company. Um, so I think um, it, it it's the right model. Um, but like anything, and this is really what entrepreneurship is about: is testing and learning. Um, we need to learn from it as well, um, so that we can replicate the success of what worked. Um, but then also. Um, be able to put guardrails around it as well so that we're not, you know, creating a singularity of dependency. So you maintain that the private sector and uh, government should work together, particularly these smaller enterprises, but there are huge gulfs between the two. If we could, I'd like to talk a little bit about how big those are, how problematic they are, and how we bridge them. Um, Part of it is cultural, right? Yeah. 
Largely, it's cultural, I would say, um, Gene. Uh, you know, I think, and I'm glad you started with that because I think many times people want to go to more policy and, and tactical things. And, you know, look, any kind of collaboration successful, whether it be public-private or, you know, um, it always comes down to people, right? Um, and in, in deeply in that comes down to trust. Um, and, and trust is the currency of any successful partnership. Um, and I think that's where, uh, you know, we need to kind of, uh, help rebuild that trust, um, and create a level of, and, you know, we have a whole, ch you know, chapter that we talk about this where you got to humanize government and personalize entrepreneurship. There are plenty of examples of, of folks that are trying to bridge that cultural gap. Um, you know, at, at, at the most basic level, the, the cultural differences also, um, stem from the, the incentive differences and the reward differences. Um, so what do I mean by that? Um, you know, I, I joke around in my class and we write about how if I was a VC measured the way government was, I'd never raise another fund. Because? What does that mean? You know, as a VC, I can make 10 bets and eight of them may not work. But if two of them are just, you know, outlier companies, I'm, I'm oversubscribed to my next fund. Everyone wants in because they look at it as the overarching, how did the whole portfolio do? Um, in government, I can make 10 bets. And if nine of them are okay and one of them, you know, goes south, um, even though the portfolio is fine, um, you know, I'm carrying that around with me, think Solyndra. Um, and, you know, th that that changes behavior, right? Because you're playing not to make mistakes as opposed to being rewarded for your best outcome. You're penalized for your worst deal. As a result, there's a real aversion to risk and a real fear of failure on the government side, correct? That's right, Gene. And, you know, uh, a friend of mine, Dan Tangerlini, you know, uh, has an interesting way of framing it, which is he says, you know, part of this stems from the fact that every agency has an IG, which is uh, an inspector general. And their job is to look at, you know, what are the things and the mistakes you're making? And therefore, you know, you, you kind of stray and you could, you know, find yourself in front of a congressional hearing. And his, his, you know, and we write about this, his response to that is like, every agency should have two IGs. And you're kind of, you know, at first going, what? And then he's like, well, the other one should be called an innovation general. And the innovation general's job is to make sure you're innovating fast enough. Because if you have that, you need, it, you need an opposing tension um, that says, hey, look, if you're not trying to win, and if you're not trying to get better, you could also get called in, in front of a congressional hearing. Um, but, it, it, you know, it speaks to kind of the, the mindset that you need to have. Um, and look, culture is hard to change. And so, you know, what we try to propose in the book isn't just the wave of magic wand and let's change culture, um, but is that recognize that the cultures are different. And then how do you kind of collaborate um, within that structure and, and create a renewed partnership whereby things are allowed to fail in the private sector um, and bring those technologies out in a way that, you know, they may not be able to, to have that same experimentation inside. There's another dichotomy, it seems to me, between government and the private sector. Government has a purpose, theoretically at least, to solve problems and make things better. The private sector is about making money. That's a real clash. I think that's an artificial vernacular that unfortunately we've given um, a generation, right, where they we feel like they're very binary. Um, we say public sector, private sector. Um, we say not-for-profit, for-profit. We make one imply that one is only about doing good, and we make one imply that it's only about making money. Um, and I saw this kind of firsthand with my students. So many of them would come and say, like, God, I really want to go do something good with my life, but I really want to 
I need to make some money. And they felt like they had to choose. Um, and I think that's at the core part of the mindset change that we need to start to inculcate, um, both in, inside the academic institutions, but how we talk about this, which is we need, we need a language that says you can do both, right? Where you can have a purpose and make money um, and that it's okay. Um, and that's what these mission ventures represent, which are entrepreneurial activities that are for profit. You know, we're not we're not calling this social entrepreneurship. Um, these are for-profit entities, but are, that are solving problems in a for-profit way um, that um, have societal good associated with it. Is there a move away from that in the business sector? I read recently in the Wall Street Journal that companies are backing away from the term ESG goals, environment, social, and governmental goals. That they they're afraid of being labeled as being woke. Um, and so they're, they're keeping mission at a distance. They may, in fact, be executing it to some degree, but they don't want to talk about it. What does that tell you? Yeah, so I think at the core, um, what you're alluding to is where people are treating this as an add-on. What I'm getting on, what, what I'm referring to more, Gene, is where mission is integrated in your company. Um, you know, I, I, I think what happens right now in, in the backlash you're seeing a bit is people doing what they're doing and then have a separate group or department that takes care of like, hey, make us look good and make us feel like we're complying and we're doing something mission oriented. Um, and I think what we're really talking about here is that where that is driven in, 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 at the core of who your company is um, and building it with that in mind. And so Therefore, you're creating more alignment, and that's why we say aligning people, purpose, and profit um, around the mission. Um, and that the more mission you're doing, you know, the more profit you're you're generating. Some companies in the tech space, in particular, have been distrustful of government, particularly in the wake of the in the wake of the Snowden case. They're on a different page in terms of privacy, consumer protection, national security, even. Is that an obstacle to creating the kind of synergy you're talking about? Look, I think at, at, at a high level, it, 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 it's an optical um, obstacle. Um, I think at the practical level, that's all overblown. Um, I think all those same companies that are saying like we're, we're averse to it are collaborating with government. Um, and I come down back to the notion of like we have to almost, you know, and we talk about this in the book, which is, you know, humanized government. You know, government's not just one opaque entity. Um, you got to break it down to its molecular level. It's an, it's it's a group of organizations it's, which are made up of a group of people. Um, and again, I go back to trust is really about people, um, and in 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 building that trust and how 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 that's used. So you know, in that context, um, there may be different agencies that have less trust with technology companies and others, but that doesn't mean it's, you, you can, you can paint a brush that says all of government is not trustful. Um, and that even within those agencies, it may be individuals that people feel or, or groups within those agencies. Um, and so that's how I would break it down, you know, and I, and I think that's what you see the reality. I mean, it makes great sound bites. It makes great articles um, that, you know, people don't want to collaborate, but when you're sitting in DC and you're watching um What's happening? People are collaborating. Government is perceived as being wasteful, as being bloated. The business community, on the other hand, uh, values and practices agility. Uh, again, how fundamental is that difference and how much of an obstacle is it? 
Yeah, I, I I think a little bit of that comes back to the the incentive systems that are in place. Um, you know, I think government is measured on maintaining a certain process, whereas industry might be a little bit more focused on what the outcome is and less less on what the process may be. And so, you know, I think again recognizing what what the incentive structure is with each ecosystem and then how do you leverage that in the context of larger innovation is what's important. Um, and, you know, again, some of the investments that government will make around research and development, nobody in industry is going to make. Um, and they're not going to make it because either they don't see the market or they, the time horizons are too far out. Um, but it's ne- necessary for us as a country to be making those investments. Um, or the bets are too big. Um, you know, some of these bets are really large bets that for any investor to make, it's too big for any one investor to make. And so, you know, I think, um, you know, while we can characterize those as being, you know, differences, I don't think that um, it prevents um, those two to be able to collaborate. Um, and, you know, what you're also hoping is that the more collaboration you have, the more customer and strategic empathy there is for how each operates um, and that you can drive more efficiency with that. But when it comes to technology, speed is essential and there are procurement rules and systems in place. Yeah. There are long time horizons on the government side. Yeah, I think that's probably the the, the largest fundamental um, issue right now um, has been procurement, Gene. Um, but again, you know, we have to break down government into smaller entities. Um, there are groups inside of government that are trying to be more proactive with how they are able to attract talent um, or technology in. Um, I'll use an institution like Incutel. They play an important role with how they collaborate with venture companies to help expedite that process. Um, engage um, without wasting too much time in cycles to gauge applicability into the you know intelligence community. Um, you're seeing the DoD you know through DIU um, through Office of Strategic Capital and you know in, in other efforts also um, look at ways um, to to expedite that process um, and so that you know startups. For startups, you know, look, their most important currency actually isn't capital, it's time, right? And, and you, you, you appropriately raise, like, the, the issue for them is they can't um, – and this is why public-private partnerships um, models in the past don't necessarily apply to what we, we refer to as government venture arrangements because, you know, three to six-month delays in public-private partnerships, no harm, no foul, in a government venture arrangement, that can mean everything, um, you know, because, you know, you, you've ramped up, you're burning capital, and if you, if you don't deliver a contract when you say you're going to, it matters. And so, you know, I think what gives me hope is that there's um, a lot of folks recognizing these issues that are working on it. Uh, people aren't sitting there saying, like, it, there's not a problem. Um, and their pockets of success. And a lot of what we try to do in the book um, is highlight that those pockets of success, right? Is to say, hey, look, this is what's working. This is what people are doing. Um, and then we try to pose the question of like, how do we do more of it? Um, why don't we do more of it? And then um, how do we make this the norm, not the exception? Have you got answers to those questions yet? I mean, look, again, it, it comes down to people, right? Um, it, it comes down to people and will. Um, and leadership. Um, I think it first starts with the notion of like, it can be done, right? Um, I think part of the answer is storytelling, honestly. Um, I think a lot of times when people, in, you know, whether it be 
folks in Congress that I've interacted with or senior government officials, um, they're not even aware of the success stories that are out there, right? And how those are working and why did they work? Um, and so I think there's a, at the forefront of this is a basic education process, right? Um, and creating that dialogue and creating that um, uh, discourse to say like, hey, you know, because it's easy to say we don't do this or we can't do this. But if you start to say like, but you are doing this here, that changes the dialogue, right? And then it begs the question of like, how can we be doing this elsewhere? So I think the first part is making people more aware of, of what's getting done and what, what's been successful. And, you know, you bring up the SpaceX example. Why was it successful? Right. Um, and it becomes, you know, starting to double down and replicate um, on, on what's working. You've mentioned people and talent a couple of times. I'd love to dig sure. into that just a little bit more. Uh, so you're in a university setting. You're interacting with students every day. Yeah. Are they drawn to the idea of government service? Yeah, it's, it's, it, 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 it's a great question. Um, here's what I think they're drawn to. I think they're, they're drawn to doing something mission-oriented and purposeful. Um, and I say it that way because I think how we talk about government service needs to also reflect that. Um, what they, you know, so, you know, I, I quip sometimes that government sells jobs, but students are buying experiences. Um, government, or sorry, government sell, sell, uh, sells jobs, but the students are, are, are buying mission. Um, the government's also selling careers, um, and the students are buying experiences. So if we can break this down into mission-oriented experiences, that's really of interest to students. Um, we we did a test, you know, at Noble Reach over the summer, where we had, um, you know, we were looking for five interns around mission tech and entrepreneurship. Um, we had 615 applicants, and we didn't even have a website up yet. And it was around because we were looking at mission tech and entrepreneurship. Um, and you know, I think there's a, uh, a, a a marketing piece to this that we're we're helping to help try to bridge. Um, the other piece I'll, I'll share is, you know, in, in, through a vignette, uh, you know, two uh, female Stanford CS majors, um, you know, one selected to do Kessel Run, a prominent, you know, military program and tells her friend she's going to go do that as a CS major. And her friends go, why would you do that? Why would you do that with all these other opportunities in the Valley? Her other friend was selected to do Teach for America. And her friends go, wow, that's amazing. You're going to serve, you're going to give back, and then you can go do whatever you want. And we galvanize around this notion at Noble Reach around why to wow. And where, what I'm getting at there, Gene, is that there's a paradoxical juxtaposition, right? Where the the person going into government is not even viewed as service, right? Um, and it's not about the money because, you know, in this example, that person may be making up to twice as much as the person going to Teach for America. It's about something much deeper, right? It's about prestige. It's about respect. Um, but it's also being viewed as a career enhancer. Like we need to we, we need to show that going into government for a couple of years, there's an off-ramp um, that people will value. Um, and that's the program that we're trying to create with the Noble Reach Scholars Program, um, you know, whereby we have one or two-year fellowships where kids go in, um, cohort-based, you know, boot camp, you know, they get mentors, you know, learning modules while they're there, um, you know, uh, and, you know, we help place them afterwards. And we've got, you know, the, all the top leading um, recruiters on campus, a big tech finance consulting firms, um, and students can decide what they want to do afterwards. But, you know, I think the same way um, TFA's done a remarkable job of, of, of putting education in the ethos of a generation, you know, I think 
the time and places now for us to be um, putting public service in government, um, especially for our tech and business students, right? And um, those are the ones not going in. And um, I think that's an infrastructure problem. That seems like a steep mountain to climb. You know, a lot of students have loans to pay. They have families, perhaps, who who need their support. And the, the paycheck that they can get in Silicon Valley may just be um, yeah, too but, seductive. But, Gene, those same students are applying to TFA and doing Teach for America at half the cost. If what you're saying is true, nobody would be doing um, public service. So government has bad PR is what you're telling me. <laughs> yeah, it's not about the money. It's all I'm trying to say, Right. When we say it's about the money, we're minimizing what it really is about. It's it's something deeper. Um, and I think that's the infrastructure that can be created. Let me give you an example. Um, government agencies aren't showing up on campus to recruit. And anyone in an engineering department or a business school probably hasn't been in government. So why are we surprised that students don't end up there, Right. I mean, when it's the easy button is to kind of go downstairs and, you know, there may be a TFA recruiter, there may be a McKinsey recruiter or an investment bank recruiter, and then you go and, you know, that's the easy button. So I don't, I know it's a, a large task, um, but I actually think the, the time and place now is there where these students, especially coming off of COVID, especially seeing what's happening in Ukraine, especially seeing what, what they're experiencing with climate, um, feel a deep sense of mission uh, and a deep sense of looking for wanting to do purposeful work, um, that if there was a time to do this, it's now. What will it take to create the kind of ecosystem you're talking about? What are the first steps that should be taken? Yeah, look, I think um, we're trying to be one of those first steps um, is to have a, an, you know, a not-for-profit um, that is trying to catalyze and galvanize the ecosystem um, and, and thinking about doing it at scale. Um, and I think that last piece of doing it at scale is important. Um, I think there's a lot of not-for-profits that are doing great work, um, but just because, you know, they're um, subscale and, 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 you know, um, always on the fundraising uh, treadmill, um, never are able to kind of scale it and have high impact. Um, and I think we need, we need to be able to consolidate that in, in a way and, 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 and to, to help scale that. Um, you know, I think having, uh, you know, we've got the benefit at Noble Reach where we're starting with a, a foundation and a, an endowment of close to half a billion dollars. Um, and we've got great partners around us and a great team that we've built. We were four people last year. We're almost 50 this year. Um, we feel like we can help be that catalyst. Um, or, and, and we don't want to be the catalyst. We want to be a catalyst because there's a lot of people doing great work. But how do you amplify that great work in a meaningful way? Uh, but there aren't many people trying to do that and being being operational. And that's what we think we can we, we could be helpful with. Um because I think what happens then is you can start to bring the right people to the table. Um, you know, university partnerships, you know, we've now have, you know, over 30, um, you know, private sector partnerships with, with, with leading players. Um, they, they, they feel like you're going to be credible and you're going to be there to scale. Um, and then, you know, with government agencies, we think we're in the right time and place. Like we want to give this a shot. You urge a sense of we, um, that we are all in this situation together. We all need these solutions. But we're in an intensely politicized environment yeah. where, frankly, there are a lot of anti-government sentiments. Is that working against what you're trying to do? 
Yeah, no, it's a look. It's a fair question, and you know, look, I'm. Uh, I will tell you the most heartwarming part about you know going around and speaking to folks and sharing what we're doing has been how um, wholeheartedly it's been embraced, whether it was an ROD. Um, you know, because I think the issues we're talking about aren't political issues. Um, we're talking about like we need to get better talent around government, um, and we need to get better innovation around government if we're going to compete in great power competition. Um, you know, whether you're you know uh, an RD, you nod yes. Um, the only question I get asked usually um, after talking about what we're doing and what we're trying to do is how can we help. Um, and that's from whether you're a senior, you know, CEO at a, a private sector company, um, a bank, a consulting firm, um, a big tech firm, um, whether you're a congressional individual, whether you're someone in the agency um, or a university president. Uh, I think there's a recognition that th what we have today isn't working, right? Um, and that, you know, we should try something. Um, and, you know, if there's something out there that's trying to pull this together, um, and by no means are we trying to say we're a silver bullet or we're the answer, um, but we want, what we want to try to do is catalyze um, more of this kind of interaction. Because I think what we strongly believe is that if we're going to compete, it can't be any one sector doing this. It's got to be doing this um, uh, in, a, in a much more collaborative way. You sound hopeful. Very. Um, look, uh, we write the book um, in a very optimistic tone. Um, I am, and look, you know, the, the two places I've spent, you know, my most most of my time has been in venture. Um, so it's around entrepreneurs, um, which are, you know, look, a self-selecting group of very optimistic individuals um, and on college campuses teaching, um, which is, again, a pretty self-selecting group of optimistic individuals. So I think I'm drawn to optimists. Um, and that I think drives my optimism as well, is that, um, you, you find that these, these two ecosystems are deeply cultural, um, of optimism and they're hard to replicate. Look, our adversaries can't replicate them. They've tried to replicate them over decades. Um, and, uh, and it's because it's deeply cultural. And so I, I actually am very optimistic. Uh, I am optimistic that, um, we, this is a generational opportunity. Look, I've got two kids in college. Um, I'm teaching, you know, students. Um, so I tell them, like, if I was going to spend the next decade or two, this ecosystem would be the ecosystem I would be spending time in. Um, because I think you can make a difference, you know, feel like you've got purpose. Um, and also, you know, create wealth for yourself as well. Um, and I'm unabashedly not trying to have people choose one or the other. Um, and, uh, you know, like, I, I don't, I don't think there's a time where you can mobilize capital around people, purpose and profit, like you've been able to over these last five years. And I think that's going to continue. Um, and the more success stories we have and continue to have, whether it be a SpaceX or a Palantir or a Ginkgo Bioworks or Commonwealth Fusion, um, you know, the more these stories, it's just going to fuel more capital to come in. The more capital that comes in fuels better talent coming in, better talent coming in fuels a better, stronger ecosystem, which just, you know, it's the story of the Valley. Um, and, and I think we're, you know, it's that virtuous cycle that I think we're playing through. 
Arun Gupta, venture capitalist, lecturer at Stanford University, adjunct professor at Georgetown University, CEO of Noble Reach Foundation, and also author of the book, Venture Meets Mission. It's been great to have you with us. Thank you. Thank you, Jean, for your time. A reminder to those of you listening to mark your calendars on May 7th and 8th at the Walter E. Washington Convention Center in D.C., the Special Competitive Studies Project will be hosting the very first AI Expo for National Competitiveness and the Ash Carter Exchange on Innovation and National Security. If you want to learn more about sponsoring, exhibiting, or attending, visit scsp.ai slash expo. We hope to see you there. This has been NatSec Tech. I'm Jean Meserve. Take care.